evil day is when temptation and opportunity and desire all come together. I'm so shocked by the fact that I can fall into a sin that I thought I had long since conquered. You're listening to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church, Episode 1. In this, our inaugural episode, we begin a series looking at the issue of desire. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Pres. Welcome to the 1A, a podcast designed to look at how to apply biblical principles into our everyday lives. Today, we talk about how God keeps us from sin, the increase of temptation to certain sin in our current culture, and our response to that increased temptation. Joining me today is the Robert Strong Professor of Systematics for Reformed Theological Seminary, a multi-book author, a frequent guest speaker, and of course, our senior minister here at First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, Dr. Derek Thomas. In the opening, we heard a clip of you saying that the evil day comes when trial, temptation, and desire all come together. What does that mean exactly? I'm sure that's a quote from someone else, and it sounds like a Puritan, but but I'm certainly conscious of having said something of that nature on many an occasion, partly because I'm deeply conscious on any given day that the reason why I haven't fallen into a particular sin is not because of my lack of desire, but because of a lack of opportunity. That God mercifully closes doors or provides providential interruptions that whatever it was I was about to think or say or do gets interrupted by something more urgent. Mm. Uh, and and that's a, a wonderful thing. And uh, in, in my prayers, I, I'm often... Uh, conscious of needing to thank God, not just for what he has done, but what he has prevented me from doing, mm. which otherwise I would have done, apart from his sovereign providential overruling. Mm. Mm. There is a quote from uh, a Puritan, and he says, it is as natural for the heart to lust as it is to the eye to see. If it's true that it's that natural for us to lust, what do we do about it? Well, let's define lust in a more general sense. And for the, since the quote is from a Puritan, uh, we, we tend to equate lust purely in sexual terms. But lust is a, an insatiable desire, uh, a desire to gratify um, oneself and a desire to gratify um, aspects of our fallenness. We are by nature, of course, uh, children of Adam and therefore predisposed to be opposed to God and opposed to godliness, to serve oneself, to worship oneself, Mm -hmm. to be guilty of idolatry. Uh, We think of Calvin's famous uh, institute statement in book one uh, that man's mind is a perpetual factory of Mm -hmm. idols. Yeah. Uh, but even even as renewed man, uh, as someone indwelt by the Holy Spirit and in union with Christ and with a new nature, there is still the down drag of what we call 
remaining sin. So it's a fight. Um, the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I find, I do. Mm. Uh, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, uh, Romans 7 and, and Galatians. Uh, so, so that, um, that struggle against, um, an insatiable desire is a life long struggle, uh, that we gain victory over, um, sometimes for extended periods of time. But, uh, I've been a Christian for 45 years or so. Uh, but I still, I'm still shocked by the fact that I can fall into a sin um, in the mind or in the desire or or in the execution mm-hmm. um, that I thought I had long since conquered. Uh, and uh, they just have a tendency to come back to life again unless we are constantly vigilant in our um, Christian warfare. Mm. So you've been a pastor for how long now? I was ordained in 1979, uh, so 35, 6 years. And a teacher for how long? Uh, since 96, so almost almost 20 years. So a lot of time seeing a lot of people, both students and flocks that you've ministered to. Have you noticed any patterns for those who seem to be giving in to desires and sin rather than combating them? Oh, well, speaking generally, uh, I, I think that we, we live in a Christian culture currently that is predisposed to making much of grace and making less of the moral and spiritual obligations on our part to deal with sin. I mean, there are, there are sins, um, that I think are endemic and they're part of every culture and they were as, they were as prevalent 35 years ago as they are now. But I, I think with the advent of the internet and the immediacy of communication, um, there are certain forms of sexual sin and pornography and so on that are, uh, much more um, prominent now than they would have been in my generation. You'd have to go to a city and some back street in a, in a brown bag somewhere to view pornography when I was 15. Uh, whereas now I'm reading of, of eight and nine year olds mm. viewing pornography on cell phones. I mean, mm. that's a, that's a totally different world and one that the church, uh, has to, has to address. So if you go from, the more general to something more specific. What do you do or what would you tell them to do in that moment to help them? Yes. If it's reached that far, there are, there are probably very few things Mm. that are actually going to work. I think that once desire has reached a certain point, it has, and, and forgive the metaphor now, but it has a kind of inevitable explosive tendency and it's it's going to reach some kind of climax uh, and that's going to be sin. I, I think that what needs to happen is something 18 steps before. It's interesting that Dr. Thomas would talk about this 18 steps before idea. 
From a counseling perspective, this is considered the slippery slope of unwanted behavior, or as you and I might call it, the slippery slope of sin. The idea is is that the earlier you intervene in something, the more likely you are not to engage in the behavior that you don't want. And that, that slope is not just a gentle slope. It's an exponential slope. Let me give you an example. If you're sitting in your chair and you're thinking about that piece of cheesecake sitting in your fridge, if at the moment you begin to think about it, you intervene and you tell yourself, this is not what I want to do. I want to do something more healthy. And you go out and you exercise or you call a friend who reminds you why you don't want to eat that cake. Then the likelihood of not eating it is pretty high. If you wait and you ruminate on the idea of eating that piece of cheesecake and then you find yourself in the kitchen and then all of a sudden you open the fridge and it's not until you open the fridge that you begin to think, maybe I don't want to do this, then the likelihood of you not eating that cheesecake is pretty low. With time and with each behavior, the probability of not doing it decreases largely. This is what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 10 when he talks about taking every thought captive that we might obey Christ. We're those that don't intervene just at the doing level. We intervene at the thinking level and intervene as soon as we recognize that our thoughts are taking us to a place that is not godly or Christian. Now let's get back to Dr. Thomas and hear what he has to tell us in this regard. terms of a, a routine and a pattern to daily life and existence. There's nothing magical about a reformed doctrine of mortification. It is, in fact, on a theological level, identical to a medieval Roman Catholic view mm. of mortification. Mm. Uh, the Reformation and the Puritans did not change the doctrine of progressive sanctification. It involves changing habits Mm. And, and habits that are instinctive and habits, frankly, that are learned. And I think that much of, for example, pornography is learned patterns of behavior. Mm. You find yourself in a certain situation and this is what you do. And, and you find yourself repeating it 10 times, 15 times, 100 times, mm. and it, it becomes a, 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 an addiction. Yeah. So I think that it's like dieting. Mm. I mean, you can you can have two weeks of you know no, not eating not eating meat or or a South Beach diet or you know whatever the current fad is, and and you will lose you will lose some pounds, and you'll look in the mirror and you'll put on a, a pair of trousers that that pants as Americans say, <laughs> um, you know that you probably haven't had in a, in a, on in a few months, but. In a month, you're going to be back to where you were again because you have to change. You know, and I'm not the one to be talking about dieting, but right. but you do have to change a lifestyle, right? Uh, a, a total change of lifestyle, and it's going to involve not just what you eat, but you know, the horrid, awful word exercise and <laughs> gymnasium. I mean, and and I think the approach to sanctification and dealing with with desires is the same. You can do patchwork. Sanctification and it'll, it'll work occasionally and might work, you know, once or twice, but in the long run, you're going to fall back into that pattern again unless you change your lifestyle. And somebody whose, whose lifestyle is, is addicted to, say, pornography has to do some very drastic things. Uh, and 
It may involve, you know, taking your laptop and throwing it in a river. Yeah. It, it may mean having uh, a completely different way of accessing the internet mm. with, with lots of safeguards and accountability. Mm. Um, and accountability is a key here. Uh, I, I do think that God has put us in a corporate environment as part of what church means, mm. that we're in a corporate environment in which we're accountable to one another. And um, If you could maybe expound just a little bit on accountability, what might that look like for uh, a, a group of members, men, women, even students? How might they do that well? You know, I think there are certain sins that are private and there are certain things that are public. And and what is viewed as private and what is viewed as public does change strategically um, as time goes on. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't think it's the business of the entire church to know all of the sins with which I struggle. Yeah. And I don't think that's true for um, a- any member, and I don't think that's true for office bearers or, or somebody like me who's a minister. Um, so having you know, the trendy term accountability partner, fine, but having a brother that you trust yeah. um, who, who is going to be straight with you, that, that I like. Uh, and that can, you know, that can take different forms, and I'm, I'm not averse to you know, group mm-hmm. therapy forms, so accountability you know, where men, mm-hmm. eight, ten men, are accountable to each other, or... Yeah. Or whether it's a brother to a brother, I've I've not personally been involved in a group set setting, mm-hmm. although I can see how that works, mm-hmm. especially if you're all struggling with similar things. Yeah. Uh, and there are secular versions of that, and I think and I think that there are probably Christian versions of that too that 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 work very well. Yeah. Galatians six two tells us to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, but the verse right before that in six one is a warning to burden bearers that they not also fall into sin. So what advice or counsel might you give to someone who is going to be that accountability partner that they would not also be tempted or drawn into the sin with someone that they're trying to help be accountable? Um, actually, this is a very interesting question because I, I, I don't do as much counseling as you do, Josh. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, all of us, all of us as Christians do a, a certain amount of counseling and certainly all of us who are ministers do a certain amount of counseling. But I am conscious sometimes when I am speaking to somebody about a particular sin that's outside of my um, wheelhouse that there's a curiosity factor, almost a voyeuristic factor that I'm deeply conscious of. And I, I really want to know more about this, but for entirely the wrong reasons and reasons that ultimately are not going to help me. Um, I'm also conscious of how easy it is to be entirely hypocritical, mm. Mm. giving advice to somebody else about their sin when you yourself struggle perhaps with similar or, or parallel-like sins mm. uh, that, are, that are perhaps uh, out of control and uh, that, that we, have, we have an incredible ability to camouflage and, and be hypocritical. Mm. 
And I think when I hear of fellow ministers falling, as happens all too often, mm. you know, I, I do have to say to myself the whole time, um, you know, watch yourself and take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lest you too fall into temptation. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all of our episodes, which you can find on our webpage, which is firstpreszcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcast applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or an issue that you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can contact us via email at 1A at firstpreszcolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpreszcolumbia.org. Or on Twitter, at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or you can call us by phone, 803-281-1795. That's 803-281-1795. We look forward to seeing you next week and hope that this material has helped you to live out the gospel for each other and for the kingdom. Until then, God bless. God bless.